Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. After a brief hiatus, Graham McMillan and I are back with episode 114. Topics discussed in today's episode include Green Lantern and the Rise of the Third Army, Superboy and the Last Boy on Earth story arc, Superman Family Adventures, Uncanny Avengers issue 3, and Avengers issues 3 and 4, the 16th issues of Wonder Woman and Flash, Dora the Explorer, Natalie Imbruglia, Chad Nevitt, and much, much more, including answering questions posed by our listeners in an episode with more than two hours of WTF certified WTF-ness. Show notes are available over at SavageCritic.com, and I heartily recommend you check them out so you can see the fine illustrative skills of Graham right there at work. And, as always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Previously on Wade Watt, we asked you to give us some questions. That was two months ago. We still haven't answered them. (laughs) And you know, actually, to make things better, uh, Graham, is that in the course of doing my the teeniest amount of prep that I try and do for these uh, delightful podcasts of ours, I completely uh, forgot to go to that page and look up the questions, even after you reminded me today. That's all right. I'll just read all the questions out when we get to that. Also, we're probably not going to get to that. Let's face it, for like an hour. (laughs) (laughs) It is is sad, but it is true, isn't it? My goodness. So how are you, sir? I am good. How are you? I I am. You're not so good. You're you're getting over sick, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I uh, uh, spent our skip week, which I had all sorts of in- delightful, engaging activities planned. Um, instead, I caught the flu and spent the time in which normally I would be talking to Graham, uh, shivering in my bed, praying for death. So I guess the big difference was I was shivering <laughs> so and in my bed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. But um. So uh, yeah. So that was uh, that was uh, exciting. I have to say that was a great way to spend that skip week. So, but you know what's nice is I'm all fired up about comics because if there's one thing I've learned in the last week, they're much better than vomiting. So um, I'm hoping that actually gets maybe like a week ago you wouldn't have thought that. It was it was about fifty fifty, yeah. Maybe honestly, you, need, maybe you needed the vomiting to be like you know. Now that I've done a lot of vomiting, mm-hmm. I I can pretty much say I would rather read Green Lantern New Guardians. <laughs> perhaps perhaps I would. Is that is that a specific title that perhaps one of us has read recently? No, actually not. <laughs> Literally just picked it out of either. That's not true. I I've been reading uh, the the Green Lantern crossover. Mm-hmm. Parts of it I've literally just been reading. When DC send me issues of it, because mm-hmm. DC's publicity thing is really weird. I don't know if it's that I don't get all everything they mail out, or if they literally just mail out random issues of a crossover. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, because I got the last three parts of the Rise of the Third Army crossover Hmm. but no earlier issue in that crossover (laughs) (laughs) so literally it's like here's the end Mm -hmm. Uh, okay then um so yeah it it was interesting but no new guardians was not amongst one of those issues it was it was in fact the greenlander book that wasn't Ah, i see i see so that's perhaps perhaps that's why you're fixated so tell me about this whole rise of the third army because i have to say like i'm not paying attention to green lantern in here's any way, here's form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, maybe it's just me 
I know. I feel it's not. I feel you'd agree with me in this. Green Lantern as a as a franchise mm-hmm. has completely disappeared up its own ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it it is the most mythology heavy thing mm-hmm. in comics these days, and that's saying a lot. Yeah. But every single Green Lantern story is about the Green Lanterns, mm-hmm. as opposed to here is this outside thing that is happening that we will investigate. It's all there is corruption at the heart of our organization. <laughs> every single time. There, there is corruption, and so this time, um, the Guardians have gone mad again, which I honestly feel happens on a regular fucking basis. Mm-hmm. And they have created the Third Army, uh, being the Manhunters were the first army. Oh, okay. I was wondering about this. This was one of my big questions. They okay. were robots that killed everyone. Yeah. Okay, Graham. Thanks. <laughs> Second army, uh-huh. but they had free will, and that is apparently their problem. The wait, the robots had free will. Oh no, the Green Lanterns. Oh, I'm sorry. So did you say the Green Lanterns were the second? Maybe you're fading in and out a little bit. Because okay, interesting. Green Lanterns were the second. Ah, I see. Right. Uh, they had free will, and mm-hmm. the Guardian problem with that. Uh, and so the third army is, and this is like this is where it gets ridiculous because the logic of that too kind of follows, right? Sure. Right. The third army is, what if you get the Green Lanterns, but you turn them into zombies? (laughs) So there is... (laughs) Like, I'm just laughing. There is the first lantern, who is this mysterious figure. Right. Who, and again, crazy logic that doesn't make sense, has somehow created, like, a duplicate, and the duplicate, when he touches people... He seals up their ears and their mouths so they can't hear anyone else or talk back. And they're mind-controlled by the Guardians. And so the Guardians plan to turn all the Green Lanterns into these mind-controlled, like, orifice-lacking. Wow. Wow, Jeff Johns has gone to a dark place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so the final three issues, anyway, is... Uh, an issue of Green Lantern, mm-hmm. issue of Green Lantern Corps, and the Green Lantern Corps Annual. Mm-hmm. The Green Lantern Corps issues seem kind of fascinating. It seems to be that at some point the Guardians basically just fired Guy Gardner mm-hmm. to Earth, where he gets arrested for reasons I have no idea, because like I said, I didn't read all the story. <laughs> and then it turns out his brother and sister are policemen in like the jail that he's been arrested in and there's lots of like Irish family bonding (laughs) Uh, meanwhile and is that Pete Tomasi just to make sure up with Chip Mark 2 remember Chip the squirrel Green Lantern sorry the Chipmunk Green Lantern Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so there's now a new Chipmunk Green Lantern Mm, of course who's not Chip he's someone else Mm -hmm. and he's teaching Simon Baz how to be a Green Lantern Mm -hmm. They bust, like, the the zombie aliens attack Guy Gardner's jail. Mm-hmm. Simon Baz and the chipmunk rescue him, and then they go and confront the Guardians. And it ends with, because this is how Green Lantern story ends now, a cliffhanger leading into the Nets crossover. <laughs> of course. Yeah, it ends with the first Lantern escaping. And that is it, and it's like, Nets! Wrath of the first Lantern! 
ridiculous. And the, do you know what is kind of awesome though? What? The first lantern is Volthum. That's not ringing a bell for me. I was gonna say it means nothing to anyone apart from complete nerds. But Volthum, unless I'm completely misremembering, is the name of the dragon entity that gave the Earth Three Green Lantern, like the evil one. Oh my God, that's an impressive bit of nerd- nerdery there on your part, Grant. I, I, really. I, I, might be wrong, in which case I'm sure someone in the comments is going to tell me, but that's who it is. Mm-hmm. That's who the first Lantern is. Hmm. Which is, it's such a stupid Easter egg, especially in the middle of, I mean, a, a, a mind-numbly bad plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw that at the end, and I was like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> As you, know, you do. Mm-hmm. This is, is the opposite of cute. The rest of this is absolutely fucking terrible. Yeah, it really seems like, huh... Wow. So, let me ask you, is it, how does it, does it get resolved in any sort of, like, the Guardians, like, make them realize that they've made a mistake and they've made amends, or is it, like, they're on the outs with the Green Lanterns, and if so, how are the Green Lanterns fighting? Yeah, there was a big fucking fight. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the big fucking fight, the first Lantern escapes. So there's no resolution at all. Oh, I see. But this is, so it's not really, so wait, that's the, but it, it doesn't that, even sound like technically that's what I think of as a story ending, per se. final chapter of Rise of the Third Army. Mm-hmm. And it literally just leads directly into this Wrath of the First Lantern. Oh, I see. So, in other words, it's sort of a continuing story. They're just sort of rotating the the, the uh, banner uh, yeah. halfway through. But I think that's been the case with Green Lantern books for the longest fucking time. Yeah, pretty, pretty much that's Blackest Night, at least, right? Um, and and I really think I think it's it's kind of suffocating the book because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Green Lantern it's, I always say this, Green Lantern is has such a great concept mm-hmm. they are space cops with magical wishing rings right you can go anywhere with that but the problem is they don't well this is my thing here do you think because to bring in my old favorite hobby horse part of the problem is sort of the standard screenwriter story speak of the idea that every story in order to matter has to be personal you know what I mean and therefore it revolves around if it doesn't revolve around some sort of like you know greatest challenge for the Green Lantern a Green Lantern that involves like his immediate family or dog or girlfriend or something the the Green Lantern core in in order for the stories to have drama and impact it, it can't be the passive like oh there's a threat outside us there's always going to be that constant there is a threat inside us kind I, of thing could be I, I mean let's face it Jeff Johns does like to write for the movie if that makes sense mm-hmm. like exactly definitely writes Green Lantern as a movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think more than anything else he writes Green Lantern has completely become trapped in the how do I top this mm-hmm like he can't, he can't back down. Every like I I previously you know I brought back everyone who's been dead. Mm-hmm. The battle with the the other color of lantern. What can I do now? Oh, that's right. There's corruption within. And then he's like, "What can I do now? Oh, how about there's more corruption within? But like, it's corruption. <laughs> so it's the idea of like it's the first lantern. Mm-hmm. In an original sin for the guardians, I guess. Because mm. the. the, the Backstory seems to be that the Guardians trapped or betrayed the First Lantern in some mm-hmm. form. Hence, he has wrath, obviously. But um, 
but that they were wrong in doing so. It's not one of the cases where, you know, prior to uh, Jared Jones doing Green Lantern in what 1990, mm-hmm. are kind of always right. They're yeah, like, yeah. In fact, I, I, you and I both sort of remember that big deal with the Engelhart series that really worked. Is like when the Guardians admitted they fucked up, they basically sort of had decided to quit and leave. You know, exactly because they because they really were a. Uh, but we're always right, and we weren't right, and this is a problem for us. Yes, exactly. So we've got to go back and figure out how to solve it. And of course, because it's Steve Englehart, it's like, hey, figured out the answer. It's about orgasms. So, um, as I recall, maybe I've stumbled into the fanfic stuff. Wasn't that where they were going with that? Totally where they went with it. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, when I said they were always right, I meant they were doing everything for the right reason. Yes, right. Well, uh, yeah, and, right. And then when George Jones brought them back, there was the what are they up to? But even then, it was never outright they're evil. It mm-hmm. was literally, we don't understand them. Mm-hmm. We are not, you know, immortal little blue guys who have seen the origins of the universe. Right. So so we just don't understand. And that has since become, well, obviously, because we don't understand them, they're up to no good. Well, it seems like a very fascinating angle that they're that it seems, yeah, they hit repetitively. It's one thing when they make the noises of like, oh, this is our first sin, or oh, this was our big mistake, or oh, we ignored the prophecy. But it's kind of getting to that stage of like, no, the Guardians are always dicks, and yet it's almost as if you can't, but you can't get rid of that status quo, you know? It seems like, right? They're always like, oh, the Guardians are dicks. Again, this arc, you know? Am I wrong, or is it just sort of that's what has it become and it's it's really a problem because it's just completely retarded the growth of the series mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so e- even no matter how much he continues to add to stuff to it um, it doesn't it doesn't really add much because the one big story point that that is sort of pointed to next kind of never really seems to get addressed well, but also there's no nets because it's just continually you thought they were dicks they were dicks you mm. thought they were dicks. They were dicks. That's it. And you, and so your heroes are just constantly in conflict with them mm-hmm. because they have to stay Green Lanterns, and because you're not going to offer any resolution to they were dicks because you're not going to have the Guardians going we were wrong, right? Because that finishes your plot. Mm-hmm. You're just stuck in the cycle of everyone looks inept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The good guys never quit or <laughs> achieve anything. <laughs> but I'm not going to look into it. <laughs> but I don't, oh, I don't know what they're up to. <laughs> like, we must take care of these Green Lanterns. No, really, we must. No, we should. We, I mean, we, we should stop just talking about it and doing it. We do it. We really should. I mean, what are you doing on Tuesday? We do it then. And they're like, oh, wait, they, they said something about Tuesday. Do you think we should, should we hike? Should we go? see them on Tuesday. That That is great. <laughs> like, it becomes stupid. Every character just becomes stupid because you, it won't let it get to a conclusion. Right. So it's, it's, it's really a problem. It's, I was trying to think of another comic that has become so wrapped up in itself. Mm-hmm. Like, a comic. the only thing I could really think about was Claremont's X-Men. I was going to say X-Men, um, Almost generally, although at least they seem to have been kind of sort of steadily chugging forward in one direction for a while now. Yeah, and and, and it is chugging forward. Mm-hmm. 
Like it's not just rehashing the same plots. Uh, yeah, I guess that's probably true. I think there was definitely a period where they were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I for all of for all of all new X Men since mm-hmm. it's doing something different with the time travel trope. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's not another in the future. They're my sentinel. You right. know? Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's a problem. Like it's it's one of those things where you you look at Green Lantern and you're like. Jeff, you brought the you brought Hal Jordan back. You really revitalized the series. That's great. But listen, if you can't write another story, right? Is there anyone else out there who can? Right. No offense. Right. Well, I assume that he's got an end game, you know, in his pocket, and the end game probably is like the Green Lanterns versus the Guardians, and Hal Jordan does something that essentially, you know. Rebirthifies the Guardians, but do you know what I mean? We've seen that. Like that's what War of the uh, Green Lanterns was about. Mm. This uh, Rise of the Third Army is about. I'd be really surprised if it's not what Wrath of the First Lantern is about. Right. Like, like his big finale has come and gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he like it should have happened two storylines ago. Yeah, exactly. But he keeps saving it in his pocket for the last one, and it's sort of. It, it it strips the importance out of everything else that's going on, and he doesn't really seem to be aware of it, yep. which is interesting because it just doesn't. the The book seems inert in some way, you know. That I certainly, I guess, you know, as somebody who likes Green Lantern well enough, has just not had much interest in picking up. Is it like so? You bring in Simon Bass, and you're like, it's a new Green Lantern, and then you, you know, people who had drifted away from the book might have picked it up, and they're like. Oh yeah, but everything else is exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. And you, I mean, it's to the point where even Simon Baz and they're like, "You have done things with the ring that no one else has ever done." Th- that is a reason. You know, everything, everyone else who ever becomes a Green Lantern, yes. no one ever gets to be a Green Lantern who has who does things the way that anyone else does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which again, kind of defeats the purpose. I have to say, I would love to be that Green Lantern. They're like, "You've done a great job," but listen. It, you've not really, you've not done anything else. It's the, it's so totally like me. They'd be like, "Why don't you go outside the box a little bit, Jeff?" And I'm like, "Ah, no, that's all right, that's all right." You guys gave me an hour for lunch. I'm just going to take an hour for lunch. No, no, no. If you need to do like an hour fifteen or something like that in order to, you know, kind of, kind of like somehow stop, you know, the space eater from devouring your Milky Way. I'm like, look, you guys seemed really clear about it, and also I hear your annual reviews are just like. Fuckers. So, you know, it's totally okay. Like, this is all right. We'll figure out a way to make it work inside the lines. Why would I go outside the box? I've got a magical wishing ring that makes the box bigger. Dude, that's, again, that's just way too, whoa, 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 green. You know, Graham. Green. Graham, Graham Lantern. Hmm, I wonder. Oh, hmm. no, Graham Lantern. It's, it started again. Dude, it's better than Graham McMillions. I, it, or at least you would think so. I still think Graham McMillions is brilliant. But if not, I'll totally accept Graham, Graham Lantern. You know? <laughs> Thanks. Graham Thanks. Lantern. For everyone else who's, going to, who's inevitably going to do something with that in the next few months. <laughs> Always glad to help, friend. If it makes you feel better, totally accidental. So, uh... Yeah. Well, interesting. So, uh, so is there? What's the best way to to get out of this um, conundrum, apart uh, from having Jeff Johns leave and having someone with an idea come in? Um, 
by having this Wrath of the First Lantern thing actually change something. Mm-hmm. Like, by having it... And here's the thing. Jeff Johns has already set up his get-out clause. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... Shit, I think this is possibly the Green Lantern annual. Way back. Um, he introduced another race of Guardians. Hmm. Who were, for want of a better way of putting it, conscientious objectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, his ending is... Right. You know, they replace the Guardians. Mm, I see. I thing, see. right? Like, mm. that That seems to be what he's setting up. Mm-hmm. And how he gets out of it is his dad. Mm-hmm. Because it alters the status quo insofar as you have new Guardians. Mm-hmm. But it preserves the status quo insofar as you still have the Guardians. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and and that's, that's what he does. Like, he actually allows it to finish. Mm-hmm. And then a period where... The Green Lanterns actually just go off and do their job, mm-hmm. and 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 resets the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that would seem to be the way to do it, right? Well, the, uh, but but you suspect that that way uh, will not be coming soon. I uh... certainly not with the next storyline, unless maybe it does, or that storyline moves into like like the the. Wrath of the First Lantern is like the penultimate storyline sort of deal. That's that's basically where I I think it's going. I think because it, it's essentially going here is one story that will change everything, followed by another story that will change everything. Right. I'm guessing that he is actually heading towards a finale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I could be wrong. He might have. He might be like, okay, now it's Wrath of Lantern Zero. <laughs> uh, I mean, All the taste of Wrath of Lantern, but none of the calories. We we will see. We'll mm-hmm. see where he's going. I my gut is he's heading towards the finale. Right. It's just it's just how many more mega epics he's got packed up his sleeve until he gets there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought he was heading towards the finale with Blackest Night. Right. You know I mean? Black Knight to me felt like the end. It felt mm-hmm. like he set up like a really obvious trilogy structure with Rebirth, Sinestro Core War, Blackest Night. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh no, hey, right. Bright as day, War of the Green Lanterns. And you're like, really? What? <laughs> <laughs> you remember Bendis' like, last few Avengers storylines? I re- like, repeating itself? Mm-hmm. Let's burn again. Here's the Dark Avengers again. Mm-hmm. I, that's really reminiscent of what is going on for Green Lantern for me now. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like like Bendis on Avengers, Johns has kind of used up his ideas. Well, okay, or uh, just to you know play the little Devi Advi. Uh, isn't it arguable to say, like, ever since like Doctor Doom popped up in like what the first three of the first ten issues of Fantastic Four, that there's something to be said for the repetition of bringing back things that are, you know ideas that either excite the this you know quote slash the sales and the creators you know yeah but i think there's i think there's more to be said about bringing back characters than bringing back stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like when bendis brought back norman osborne he essentially did a retread of his earlier story mm-hmm Oh, here's Norman Osborn. He's trying to be legitimate. He's got a team of Avengers that he's trying to make the legitimate Avengers and decredit the real Avengers. Mm-hmm. 
which was the plot of like Osborne doing Dark Avengers the first time around and then the Dark Avengers storyline that followed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, Johns is r- repeating himself mm-hmm. by doing, you know, like I said, the Guardians are dicks. <laughs> like, the, the Green Lanterns have turned on the Guardians because the Guardians have a problem with free will. Mm-hmm. He's done that before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not that I've got no problem with bringing back characters. In fact, I like it when uh, writers bring back characters. Right, but, but but that's very different from bringing back, for lack of a better word, story tropes or flavors or something. Yeah, if you're going to bring back a character, do something else with them. Don't mm-hmm. just go the same thing again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I we like I said, we'll see. We will see what it it's heading towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, the Green Lantern books are just off-putting. Mm-hmm. They're ju- they're just boring, which is kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a drag. That is a drag. But you know, it's bish. Well, uh, any other comics that I should grill you about that have that have crossed your uh, your desk recently? Uh, at the same time as I got sent the the Green Core annual, I got sent the Batman and Robin annual. Mm-hmm. Also by Pete Tomasi. Hmm. Oh, nice. I did not expect that at all. Yeah. The plot, the plot of the Batman Robin annual is this: Damien, as we know, wants to be Batman. Mm-hmm. He essentially sets up his dad on a wild goose chase around the world while he Batman in Gotham for a week. And he, ple- he sets it up as like, Father, I have, you know, I have I have done this mystery for you. You have to go around the world and solve all my clues. And all the things he, all the things he does for um, Batman are connected to uh Bruce Wayne and and Wayne's history. Mm-hmm. So, for example, he finds a painting that uh, Bruce Wayne's mother did that Wayne didn't know existed, mm-hmm. and things like that, and sends him around. Um, while he's like back in Gotham, being like, like actually putting on a Batman outfit and trying to convince people he's Batman. <laughs> and the subplot is their first stop for for Wayne and Alfred is London, where Alfred runs into someone he went to college with, and is offered the chance to act again. Oh wow! They have the whole acting thing. That's great. And it's like it's 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 like forty pages, so it's really fast. But it's just it's funny and it's sweet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which I just don't expect anymore in comics. Yeah, again. no kidding, no kidding. This is really nice. You <laughs> do this with Batman these days. Yeah, no kidding. I was going to say, did you pick up? Have you read the um, issue? Seven of Batman Incorporated. Then this week's issue. I guess it's not sweet. <laughs> well, you know, it's got a couple of sweet moments, and they come with—they actually come with Damien uh, and Alfred, like in between the midst of everything getting, basically every uh, all the shit getting fucked up, and things looking pretty dire. Um, there's several I, scenes that are very much like Damien trying to convince. Is it the cat or- uh, they they have the they have the cat, but they actually like they go all out and they actually have a scene of bat cow and the dog and the cat all sleeping together in one corner. You know. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it really is like you know, um, 
the 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 scenes with with Damien being cute are uh, really cute. I mean, argue you know, it's a you know it, whether or not it's salted to taste. I guess uh, really might vary from person to person, but uh, but it was if nothing else, it was kind of a very a very lovely counterpoint to everything else that was going on. So, I, I but yeah, the idea of the idea of sweet. Superheroes are, are, are superhero comics by the big two that are not embarrassed to be sweet, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just lovely. It's just really charming and com- utterly unexpected in a DC comic that doesn't have Grant Morrison's name on it. Well, or isn't an all-ages book. Because I should mention that um, thanks to the uh, encouragement of uh, Martin Gray, um, who, let me see... People should stop by dangermart.blogspot.com to check out his uh, his various reviews. It's quite quite good. He's he's been advocating for a while, uh, both publicly, um, but also you know when he and I swap messages on Twitter that I should check out uh, Superman Family Adventures, which is published by DC, although not for too much longer. Um, and I grabbed the latest two issues digitally. Um, God, what are those? Those are issues, I think, I want to say they're issues 8 and 9, or maybe it's 18 and 19. Hold on. 8 and 9, apparently, I've just looked up. Uh, are they? Okay. And uh, the, even though that was, like, a two-parter, essentially, um, and had every was all about uh, Brainiac coming back to Earth and, you know, doing all sorts of scary stuff... Um, they were really good, and they're very sweet. The The opening with it, I'd love to pick up some of the earlier issues, but it's very much, you know, it, the opening of issue 8 has Superman training, you know, Supergirl and uh, Superboy and, uh, you know, Streaky the Supercat and Crypto the Superboy are there, and puts them, you know, you get to see their daily routine, which starts off with a Kryptonian history lesson, and then, you know, Jor-El, the... Um, the Phantom basically get, uh, gives them like poetry lessons, and then General Zod in the in in the Phantom Zone beams in their physical education section, and then they even get like a life lesson section with the unknown Superman from the future. So it's really, I mean, it's a super cute book. It's by Art Franco and out uh, Art Baltazar and Franco, who um, did the uh, Tiny Titans book. Um, mm-hmm. I think they both did, and. It is again. It is sweet. Um, it's very. It's like modern Silver Age stories. Like it definitely, even though it's got the everything's all dressed up. Connor Kent looks like you know the Superboy that we're used to seeing with the the black T-shirt and everything. And Superman is definitely in a very you know uh, uh, sort of cute crayony version of of the Jim Lee outfit. All the stuff with Brainiac, Luther, everything that's just jumbled in there is uh, very, very Silver Agey without the sort of, you know, without that sort of uh, distressing sort of pathos. Um, plus, one assumes that, you know, people aren't being <laughs> whipped the way Mort Weisinger whipped his employees while these issues are being created. But uh, Honestly, if you get a, if you get a chance, Graham, if you see them for for sale at Excalibur, or you get a chance to pick them up on Comixology, um, they are really darn cute, and they are they're they're good Superman comics. It, at least these two issues, in ways that are very very different from say the Mark Miller 
you know, Superman Adventures book. It's very much, um, it really is a Superman family, and it really brings back that sort of, the Silver Age bigness, it seems, um, in terms of having a big cast. And at one point, um, Superman gets exposed to periwinkle kryptonite, and all he wants to do is take Lois out dancing, and that's just super cute. I don't know how else to say it. It's kind of really adorable. That's super cute. Talking about comicsology and Superman titles, have you seen that the Superboy comicsology digital releases has gotten up to issue fifty of the first of the Carl Kiesel series? No. And do you know what that means? Uh, does that mean that all the crazy Kirby inspired stuff it gets kicked into high overgear or? 50 is the uh, Superboy Last Boy on Earth storyline starting. Ooh, I wasn't even aware of that. Yes, it is It is Superboy as Commandy for like four issues. Oh, man. I mean, literally, he is super, like, he has the long hair, he's just wearing the shorts. Mm. Uh, like, they, they, uh, all the other characters have animal heads. Oh, that's it, fantastic. It's, it's great stuff. It's Kessel and Gummit or, or Grummet? Is it Tom Grummet or Tom, I think it's Grummet. G-R-U-M-M-E-T. T, uh, maybe? But they, they love their Kirby. Mm-hmm. When they came back for their second run, like they were just unabashedly going, it's Kirby. It's the point where Kirby gets credited in every issue of their second run. Really? Wow, that's fantastic. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it's it's just, it's great stuff, but that's just started, uh, I think, yesterday on Wednesday. Mm. And they just got to issue fifty, and I think fifty through fifty-four are up there right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really great stuff. You've got that. Then later on, they have the, I want to say the only Hyper Time story that DC did outside of Kingdom. You uh, know, it's funny. I could have sworn somebody else. There was a Flash one. Yeah, there was a Flash one <coughs> that maybe more didn't Morrison claim that he did some sort of Hyper Time thing, or that he was referencing Hyper Time in a way that was kind of. Like he he does Meek a sausage. reference to it in the the one million one shot the, oh, the okay. one million eighty page giant right uh, and I want to say there's maybe a reference in Earth Two the graphic novel but I could be wrong mm-hmm. but the Superboy story is he gets lost in hypertime mm. bounces between alternate realities for like six issues hmm. um, but yeah it's it's very Kirby influenced I mean it's not Kirby. Mm-hmm sense like it's not as fast it's not as here are new ideas on every single page they're just going to fucking blow your mind and it's not unlike Kirby Superhero stuff which was always about people if that makes sense mm-hmm. the, the Kessel the Grummet run is about superheroes right, right. Uh, but there's definitely Kirby flavor in there that's really appreciated yeah and I assume those are probably selling at like $1.99 a pop or something so you want? To, I think you should check it out. I should. I should. I definitely. Uh, I. I, uh, I think I will. Uh, it's tough, though. I have to say, it was kind of funny, just because um, I came back from the comic book store yesterday, and I was like, "Oh, I barely bought anything." Oh, I know. I'll buy some stuff digitally. Um, and then I sort of sat down and did some math because my, you know, I looked at the checks that were going out and the checks that were coming in. I'm like, "Ooh, ah, uh, this is actually more closely related to." You know, the Green Lantern Mosaic series is basically on sale for, I think, 99 cents a pop through Comixology at the moment. Yes, it is, which I am uh, stopping myself from buying, even though I I know at some point I'm going to break down. But right now I'm like, D- you've read it. Do not buy it. You've read it. <laughs> 
Whereas, like, I haven't read all of it. I've just read those, you know, the first, I don't know, five or six issues that, uh, you know, I bought when I was visiting you last time from uh, Excalibur. And I'm like, ah, I should I should get these. And then I sort of looked at the math on it. And I was like, oh, so I walked, talked myself out of it. Again, sort of like for now, I think. But that's the thing, like, um, the, the Mosaic series only really gets good mm-hmm. at, like, issue five. Because mm-hmm. issue five is the great showdown with Hal Jordan in their minds issue. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that may be, that may be as far as I got, so, yeah. Hmm. It's, it's sad looking at now Green Lantern issue nine, which is the Christmas issue, which is... For my, like for my money, the best Christmas superhero comic ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ninety nine cents now, and it's like, no, you should have done it a month ago. Like literally a month ago, you should have done that. Right. But we'll see. But no, it's uh, yeah, issue five for people who, I don't know, like like Green Lantern, but might not necessarily like Hal Jordan. Mm-hmm. I think they should read it. <laughs> it <sighs> For 22 pages. I'm sorry, what's that? Hal Jordan guessing, getting his ass kicked for 22 pages. <laughs> well, that is the most perfect Christmas story of all. Issue 9, that's issue 5. Issue 9 is the Christmas story, which is all about faith and the repetition of iconography in different faiths and how Christmas doesn't really have anything to do with faith but to do with people's individual interpretation of faith and the inability to go home. Eef. Green Lantern Mosaic really was just crazily ambitious that way, wasn't it? Yeah, it was insanely ambitious. And the last issue, because it essentially got cancelled, you know, maybe two-thirds of the way through the story, and he tries to sum it up in the last issue, Mm -hmm. is crazily ambitious. Mm. Because he literally has, like, two pages where he's like, here's all the stories I would have told you. Oh, really? He gives you the pictures of all of them. Mm. And, like, that's George Stewart talking to the reader in the comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an interesting series. Hmm. I'm, I'm scratching myself. The best part is I can hear you scratching yourself. <laughs> it's a miracle of the beard. I'm like, I have nowhere else to go with Green Lantern Mosaic. Well, let's see. How long have we been talking? We've been talking for 38 minutes, sir. Should uh, Let's yeah. wrap up this part. We come back, maybe answer some questions while talking about more no- more new comics or what have you. Okay. And I'll call you in about, uh, call you about a minute. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. See ya. Kyle Rayner. Wah, wah, wah. So, is, is uh, Simon Boz supposed to be the new Kyle Rayner, essentially? Oh, we already have a Kyle Rayner. He's, Do we? he's still around. Is he? Yeah, he's, in, he's the one in the New Guardians book. Oh, see, I'm not paying attention.
But uh, hey, we're talking Green Lantern again. We should stop it. Oh yeah, it's true. But you started it. To be fair, <laughs> that's, that's that's true. Well done for being five years old. <laughs> It is something I pride myself on. Speaking of which, um, you know, we had uh, our three-year-old niece over um, for her, her first sleepover this weekend, and uh, I, I know which I, it makes me so happy. I can't tell you. It, you know, the thing is, is, is that it was great. It was also terrible. Uh, the, the... That's that's exactly the response I expected from you. <laughs> At some point after I knew it was happening, I was like, "I'm going to talk to Jeff and ask him how it went." And he'll say something like, "It was really, really good. It, it was, it was exhausting and terrible, and I was really stressed." <laughs> it's great. Well, the thing that's kind of interesting is, is that um, uh, you know, for Edie and I, who don't have kids of our own, like, of course, the experience of the last year or so, we have been hanging out with uh, our niece. Um, and it, it usually, like every other Wednesday, we will drive over to the East Bay, pick her up, take her to the library for story time, go to the park to play in the park. We'll get some uh, snack from the cafe. Usually, there's a lot of running up and down and chasing and stuff. And one of the things that was totally, come, I'm coming. Like when next time I come to San Francisco, I want exactly the same experience. Oh yeah, you'll get it. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take you to child time in the library. I'll even sit next yeah. to you uh, when I, you're like yes, shy. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> done and done, my friend. Believe me. Um, so the thing that was great is she was really, really so, super good-natured and not tantrumy at all. Uh, every once in a while, if there were problems, I mean, part of it, of course, was the fact that we, you know, the parents have a pretty good good rain on her and we were sort of you know we i wasn't really an authority figure i got to be the buddy you know so it's like when it was time to play scooby-doo no problem i had things set you know when it was time to be she needed to be chased by monsters not a problem i've got a good monster lined up you know all that sort of stuff that was all fine lots of running around pushing her on the swings pretending to get karate kicked by her all great fun somehow and this literally was just started around the time she came over for the sleepover. She has hit the 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 sort of what people call the terrible twos, which are really sort of closer to the terrible threes, I guess, in that she is now all of the very charmingly um, unsubtle power dynamics uh, at core in our relationship have become ridiculously manifest. So before a lot of the fun for her was being able to tell Edie and I, like, you sit here. No, 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 you sit here. And and some of that for her is, of course, I have power over adults, which I never have any other time. You know what I mean? So, sure. unfortunately, the as we all know, power corrupts. So she basically came over. I'm already running on empty, as Graham knows, because I managed to get uh, the flu a few days earlier and, uh, you know, had no appetite. So by the time she came over, I really barely eaten anything um, except maybe half a piece of toast in, in like 48 hours or something. So I didn't have a ton of energy. Um, and she was throwing tantrums and like if she wasn't getting her way and she, she was... She basically became a tiny idiot mean. At one point, she had kicked us out of our own apartment. So we were in the kitchen, and she refused to let us go into the rest of the house. 
And <laughs> it was hilarious because, of course, we're in the kitchen right next to the restroom. We're like, okay, well, at least we're good for a couple of days. Meanwhile, I swear to God, Graham, she's grabbing paper and she's making her own money. I mean, she's like goose-stepping <laughs> around the apartment and making huge proclamations with like her little arm behind her hand about stuff. And, I mean, it was it was wild. It really, I felt like we should have contacted like the United Nations Security Council to ask for help. Um so it was, in a way, it's kind of sad because over the last year, we've had the kid that we love to play with um, and been like, so like, oh, my God, she's so grown up and mature for her age to being like, well, now she's exactly her age. Yes. Uh, now she's everything I was worried about her being the first time. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's going to be fine. We're going to soldier on through it. But uh, but at the same time, the thing that was hilarious about it was not only were we at the lowest ebb, but the relationship really changed. And afterward, Edie was like, well, you know, maybe it was because she was staying over with us, but before she'd been staying over with her grandmother and she hasn't seen her parents for like two or three nights. And so yesterday we saw our niece again, for again, to take her to the library and do the stuff that we normally do. And, you know, she was kind of just as terrible as she had been over that Saturday night. So uh oh and through the sunday day so so yeah in that sense i think it would have been fine if it just been the regular old like well i sure am tired from pretending to get karate kicked but you know essentially it's like after a three-year-old tries to install martial law and you know you you end up i went to the place that i knew that of course because i'm a coward and a weakling i would go but i did not want to go there which was Google, going on Netflix and looking up Dora the Explorer and going, oh, hey, what's this? You know, just completely innocently. June, do you know what this is? Is this? And, you know, and it, and somehow it worked from, like, distracting her for, like, one episode to, like, somehow it was, like, six fucking episodes of Dora the Explorer. <laughs> You're like, this is great. I have three hours of peace and quiet. Just, where's Dora going next? Come on. Where's, where's yeah. Diego? Yeah, yeah, I think you should keep watching. Exactly. Exactly. But the problem is, we couldn't leave her alone with you know, the high-end computer equipment. And Edie was like, oh, hey, what's over there in my office? And then would walk off and close the door. So I cannot actually, Graham, like, have a moment of peace without backpack, 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 like starting in the back of my head. I've had the backpack song, the map song, any of the, because they're all the fucking, you know, there's only one, you know, four songs and they replay them every episode. And I just saw eight episodes. So, like, in a <laughs> row. It was, it was stunning. Oh my God. It's stunning. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, I think I had a, a better point about that. I think maybe tying in Dora as compared to, say, superhero culture. But, uh, holy shit, man. Let me tell you. The backpack song, if you can avoid getting that trapped in your head. I've never seen Dora the Explorer, so the best part is I don't know it. Oh, see? You're so safe. You're so never, safe. Never seen yeah. it. Here's the thing. We used to babysit our next-door neighbor's kids mm-hmm. because they were, God, what age were they? Like, when we moved here, they were like three and six or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, you know, there'd be a time where you'd be like, okay, I'm exhausted. Like, let's let's do something. But we never we never did like Dora. We ended up doing like the Muppets with them or something. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that that was great because like we'd happily watch the Muppets as well. Right. 
Is, is that on Netflix? Maybe that's what I'll search for next. Week. Uh, the, I want to say the Muppets movie, maybe. Uh, okay, yeah, that may work. Yeah. Um, right. No, it's all finding quality stuff. Unfortunately, Dora was the first one that I just knew that they would have, and I knew they'd also have SpongeBob, and I knew that she liked SpongeBob. Ideally, you know, she's a big. She somehow is a fan of Scooby Doo, and I'm like. I could revisit classic Scooby-Doo episodes. I can even rewatch some of the more modern stuff, but it's not something that they had on watch instantly. So I was... Does he not have, like, the, the, the recent one that everyone loves? No, no. Mystery... I want to say it's Mystery Incorporated, I think. It's, yeah. No, it's it's fascinating how watch instantly, I figured, would be, if nothing else, just, you know, all the 72 million previous seasons, but for whatever reason, not actually there on Netflix. It's probably, you know, that Turner stuff is probably holding up the staple to somebody else's burgeoning uh, video streaming network. But... Um, I, I, it's on Hulu. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what I should have done, is uh, jump over to Hulu and caught some of that stuff. But uh, Actually, I was desperate. It's not. It's on Cartoon Network, but you can get to it through Hulu. Yeah, see. There we go. And then you get into there, and who knows how, how it pans out, you know, which is fine. Uh, the thing that's great is, uh, you know, she is turning three this week, and uh, next week, basically, on the fourth. And I am buying her a, a comic book subscription, so... Are you for what? Uh, Scooby Doo, in fact, Scooby Doo. Uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. She's. I've actually bought comic books for her in the past, and she likes them. And uh, so, you know, it's that weird thing. I, I, she's. It's the perfect age where the idea of I think of actually getting something in the mail will be about as exciting for her as the actual Scooby Doo comic book. So it seems kind of. Well, like yeah, yeah. You're you're three, and you're like, wait, this is addressed to me. Yeah, exactly. Oh, holy shit. <laughs> No, but I remember. I remember when you were kids and you get something addressed to you, and you like you really don't because you're like three or four or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it really is like, oh my god, this makes me legitimate. Yeah, exactly. And that's all. That's all kids want to be at that age is legit. So it's like, oh my god, yes, I'm a big girl, which is all that she's obsessed with. Is I'm a big girl now. Yes, you know. So anyway, so she's getting Scooby Doo, and I'm actually quite pleased that that Scooby Doo is around for subscriptions for people like me who sadly enough are you know obsessed with the idea of making their you know little child relatives get addicted to the same horrific drug that is you know mangling me now in my <laughs> middle age. You're like, I was thinking of a subscription and I thought maybe why don't I get her like that injustice comic yeah, really it was actually kind of a it was I was like mm. Gosh, you know, it, it, it's, what can I say, Graham? I didn't realize that Jupiter's children was so close to being, you know, for <laughs> solicitation. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that would, that would be the worst. Here, June, turn the, okay, see that? See where Mark Miller says that that's supposed to be Richard Dreyfus? God only knows why. <laughs> Do you see that? That's sodomy. Just don't mention that appearance. <laughs> exactly. Don't mention it. If if somehow, for whatever reason, you decide to try it, remember you tell everyone you saw it in a comic book. Uh... <laughs> What's that? You want black kids too? Okay, then. <laughs> okay, then. Exactly. I have to warn you, uh, early things are a little digressive, but I really think that the, think uh, together at, the at the end, surprisingly well, that's what Graham and I concluded. So, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, speaking of Jupiter's Children, uh, any comic book news that we should be covering? Is there anything uh, that we're up on? There, I don't really think there has. Um, I'm sure there has, and I can't think of it. Well, you know, I do have to say that that whole um, WTF certified thing, does that sound oh, sad? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I've actually known about that for a couple of weeks, because it's in the previews catalog. Oh, really? Uh... And it was one of those things where it's like... That's hilarious, but I can't say anything about it because it's it's embargo. It's basically and embargoed. then when it actually came out, I'd for, I'd forgotten. Yet yeah, I love that DC Comics are like, hey, this month our comics are WTF certified, which I mean, really, they're asking for trouble. They are, aren't they? I mean, it really is so dumb. It was kind of like. It's somehow simultaneously better and worse than Marvel's Assistant Editor Month idea, you know. Because it's somehow being put forward as something a little more legitimate, I guess. I don't know. It just seems... It seems... It's, it's, it's like... Cause here's the thing. You kind of understand where they were going, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're like, every every comic this month is going to have a moment where you'll be really surprised. Right. For them then to be like, so we decided to brand it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the part where it just went off the cliff. It did. You call it what the fuck in the office. That's fine. If you right. can't come up with a better branding for that before you actually release it to the public, you pretend there's no branding. Right. You don't say, no, in April, you'll read a DC comic and think, what the fuck? Because, <laughs> what are you thinking? It was great. It was great. It was originally called, why am I reading this month? But uh, they actually like managed to go. You know what? Let's go for what the fuck because it'll actually seem more like they you, like you can't believe Charter. it. <laughs> exactly. Originally, it was called "I paid three dollars for these bits of shit month." And then we thought <laughs> that's that's too many words on the cover. Exactly. <laughs> the acronym doesn't make any sense. It it, it actually sounds like uh, Mr. Missileplick's house pet. So we got to come up with something else. Uh, I really want and no one will do this because there's no fucking way this would actually get past editorial. Mm-hmm. Love if some comic they're like, I'm being chased by the world's task force. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, God help me, that actually sounds like the sort of thing that Dan DiDio would do. You know what I mean? Only he'd insist on having it be in all the books. Yeah, exactly. It'd be like one character in each book being like, you know, Yes. You know, it's a world task force. Yes. I've Warren just checked T. In Farmer with Wonder Woman. Now. Reporting She's still hanging duty. out with Orion for no immediately apparent reason. Oh my god. Fun. You know what? I have to say this admittedly it's last week's comics, but I only read it this week. Hmm. Wonder Woman sixteen kinda of felt like getting kicked in the nuts, you know? I have to I was just like this is not Good. I mean, you know, it's kind of like I stopped reading Wonder Woman with the first like storyline. I, I kept, I, you know, I kept, it's it's the miracle of like it's on my pull list and Cliff Chang's art's great. It's only two ninety nine. Like Azarello like gets somewhat annoying, but like every issue where there's an issue where I'm going to like be like I'll jump off the next issue is kind of like oh this is kind of something. I mean, I have to admit there's part of me that's kind of like. I had always wished while reading Neil Gaiman's The Sandman that it had been more like a Kool-Aid Packin comic. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I sort of feel like this is finally my chance to have that, to have that, that tawdry dream realized. But, but, but here's the thing. I was going to say, I got sent the second collection 
by DC. Uh-huh. And it was stuff I hadn't read. And I really enjoyed it as a collection. Yeah. See, that's but it. I could, but yeah. I could also see, like, as individual issues, I'd fucking hate it. Yeah. Yeah, well, so there's that thing. So I'll let a couple build up, and then I'll read a few of the... And, and there's kind of this thing of, like, I'm like, you know what? There's a sense, think like... Things are moving forward. There's not a lot of big fight stuff, but there's enough of it. Cliff Chang's thing is like, you know, the art is developed. You know, there's sort of a sense of movement uh, to the book, which honestly, I mean, maybe that's the case of all the other DC New 52 books, but I don't really get much of a sense of that, you know? So I was like, ah, no, I'm... Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it just, it really was like, I'm like, I'm going to have to stop being a sucker because that's kind of it. I kind of felt like this thing of like, I'm feeling a little bit like a sucker. And, and part of it is, I don't know. I, it's interesting is that I'm trying to figure out to what extent that's just me being a Kirby fanboy being like, you know, like this. Yeah, but it's, it's not just. It's not just you being a Kirby fanboy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if I... There's just something... Uh, I don't know, because maybe I'm being Kirby fanboy as well. I find the Orion boring. Mm-hmm. And I find it reductive mm-hmm. in a needless way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't make sense because it's... Like, the only value to the new Orion is trading off the original version of the character. Right. Like, he has no value in and of himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh... But at the same time, the original character doesn't exist anymore, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, uh, what's the point? Like, I, yeah, I don't think it is a, a, a Kirby Farnway thing. Because mm. if you didn't know about the original character, you'd be like, who's this guy in the jacket who's a bit of a dick? Well, <laughs> God, if there's ever a summary for Brian Azzarello's career right there... <laughs> If you if you want to know everything there is about Brian Azzarello, and really pretty much everything in just one line, well, yeah, but I mean, and I sort of wonder if, like, in a way, there's a little bit of that extrapolation all the way back. Like, apart from Wonder Woman, that 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 quote literally applies to just about everyone else in the book for the most part. And I just find myself being, and maybe that's it. It's just kind of that idea of like. More than any any other book floating around in the new fifty two, Wonder Woman. This issue of Wonder Woman really had me go like, oh right, there's no there there. Like there's no like even the thing with the Greek gods. I don't really know who the Greek gods are apart from what's basically kind of a glib flat cartooniness, you know. And and I'm not just really talking about Cliff Charing's art. I'm really talking no, no, about no. The, character wise. Yeah. Char- the characters are not even stereotypes, but like they have like one personality trait. Mm-hmm. It, and half of them seem to all have the same personality trait. So there is kind of that feeling of like, but you don't realize it because the colors are so pretty and they've got different names. But it's really falling to this point where I'm like, yeah, I, I, oof, you know, like, whereas by contrast, did you end up re- getting 16th issue of Flash or no? Did Was that sent you? Uh, no, I, I wasn't sent to me, and I've not been to the store yet. Also, I still haven't read the 15th issue of The Flash. Oh, interesting. The one with I, the... I, I have it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's the thing. It's like I, I've gone through with The Flash before. I get spirits where I'm just like, I prefer this so much more when I read it in a big batch. Right. And so I, I give it a few 
like I give it until the end of the storyline to catch up. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty sensible. I mean, the end of the 15th issue and and the majority of the 16th issue is the most that I've liked the book in, I don't know, four issues, mm-hmm. maybe six or eight issues even. But it's kind of making me think like, well, A, uh, when Manipal leaves, I, I just can't see how I'm going to stick around for it. Um, but will, you, will you come back when he comes back? I don't know. I don't know. I, that doesn't really seem like my gig either. Like, I think, I think this is going to sound weird, but um, I just don't care about either Flash or Francis Manipal enough in either of those situations. Like, you've got those books that you have in your pull pile that sort of work for you month in, month out, because they're sort of reliable, you know? And that was it. Like, the first six to eight issues of Flash were kind of... It, it felt like it was building up sort of a head of steam, I guess, and de- and sort of developing. And this is just the, the you know, everything from past that first eight has been really kind of sketchy and underdeveloped. Um, and... And I don't know how to describe it. It had more to do with the idea of uh, kind of the, the I guess, your, the inherent drama of seeing a book and a team grow in jail before your eyes. But, like, once that drama gets broken from, like, oh, well, I'm not going to buy these issues, but I am going to buy those issues, especially for someone like me who does not pay attention, you know, uh, it kind of just doesn't seem worth the tr- trouble for me anymore. Mm-hmm. So... I, I, I can see that. I think there is a comfort buying as opposed to intentionally buying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then once you just get out of the habit you're like oh why would I like I don't miss it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why Why would I go back because I actually like I'm perfectly happy not buying this yeah right exactly exactly I'm kind of perfectly happy not buying this um, and I mean I'm certainly one of those guys because I've got a you know in a certain framework of disposable income where you actually can take advantage of me uh, to an extent and it's like if it's not really, if buying it is not that much more actively unpleasant than not reading it, then if I'm on that wagon, I'm on the wagon for a while. But unfortunately, once I'm off, it takes it, it takes a lot more effort to coax me back in. And I don't think that having Francis Manipole come back is really going to do that much because it's not like this is, you know, it's no Grant Morrison on Action Comics kind of level affair for me. Frankly, Grant Morrison on action comics more often than not was not been at that level. You know what I mean? I, I was going to say, hey, what do you think about the fact that his run has been extended for an issue? Mm, didn't know. So it's going to issue 19 or something? It's going to issue 18. Oh, uh, issue 17 is now going to be regular sized mm-hmm. instead of double sized or, you know, the old definition of double sized, i.e. 10 pages more. Right. Uh, and now issue 18 is going to be extra sized. Oh. Um, good. I mean, you know, I think that's great. It it makes me think that maybe the you had made him think that you you thought that you were going to get the sort of super big wrap up and then kind of a post wrap up issue, didn't you? Or yeah. am I mistaken? Yeah, I, I I was I was really convinced that issue sixteen as like as was was going to be the finale, and then issue seventeen would be the epilogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then issue sixteen came out, and that wasn't the case. I I don't know. Do you think issue eighteen is going to be an epilogue? I don't think so. I think if they're building that pick, although it might be. I mean, the great thing, I think the reason, part of the reason why Morrison's a big, 
enjoys time travel <laughs> a lot is he can sort of start front loading his epilogue in before he ends. Yeah, in like issue six yeah yeah exactly before he ends everything so um I don't know I don't know I mean I think generally it's just I think it's sort of a good sign that that they're giving him more pages but because uh, it suggests that there's, you know, a plan that he's trying to execute, I suppose. Whereas I think for, you know, a lot of a lot of action comics, I'm really not sure we're going to finish this. I'm, st- I'm still not entirely sure that even that being said, that we're going to look back on Morrison's action comics run and not have it seem like more than just a series of um, charming sketches, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think that we're going to end up looking back on it and seeing it as a, a valiant effort, but missed opportunity. Yeah, a lot of missed opportunity stuff for for any number of, of reasons, which is a shame because I definitely remember reading like about four issues, you know, four issues in and then with various moments throughout. It was like I really enjoyed re- I enjoyed reading, you know, Superman, the troublemaker in the in the T-shirt and the and the work pants, you know, I have would have enjoyed reading more of that for a long time actually i'm super fascinated that, that costumes come back in scott lobdell's run oh has it yep hmm. he has given up his regular costume to Superboy in the current storyline mm-hmm. and he has readopted the jeans and t-shirt look huh i think it's temporary i don't think it's going to stick around right. but it's just it's really interesting to see like it even happening for two issues or however long it's going to be right well, yeah, it it does sort of because I think you had suspected that when by the time Morrison leaves the DCU, there's not going to be much of a trace of him, um, and and that certainly seems to be like well maybe maybe that's not the case, you know. Um, it, it'd be nice. It'd mm-hmm. be nice if that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, <clears throat> um, so yes, WTF month. Um, covered a lot of ground ground uh maybe we should move into questions and then if we if i think of things to to harangue you about we, we can oh there. sure oh i have something i want to say really quickly for questions and it's mostly to you as opposed to the listeners <laughs> uh one of the things that dc did send me was the new dead guardians collection oh, and yeah. it was every bit as great as you were telling me oh good i'm so glad really strong stuff isn't it really good stuff mm-hmm. I, it's so good that i finished it and gave it to kate and was like you'd really enjoy this mm-hmm. and she loved it mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, good. absolutely, I'm so really good stuff. Yeah. And um, Ing Colbert's art is spectacular in mm-hmm. it. Yeah, really, really good. So good. I'm glad for people who uh, who who've been paying attention, like Graham, <laughs> to me. Now that New Dead Guardians is out as a trade, pick it up. It is. I'm glad to hear that it's as satisfying to read in the trade as it was in the individual issues. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really strong comic. Yeah, really agreed. Oh, fantastic. Terrific. Now on to the questions. Indeed. Uh, Okay, so we're starting with Kids Show Business. (laughs) It's a great name. Uh, What's your take on this Jonathan Hickman quote? Oh, Graham, before we get there, let's talk about New Avengers. um, Let's talk about the Avengers, shall we? Because I read Uncanny Avengers number three. I think I read that last week. I think I, I I purposely I always bought it and I was like you know what no I'm not going to give it any more time I thought that I I issue two left me so just cold I guess I was like I, I it's not even fun from a shitty point of view oh so really interesting it. because I think that three was so bad 
Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I thought so. I mean, I don't know if it's like it's not as fun from a shitty point of view as the classic like last few pages of, of issue uh, one were, but um, but wow, issue three was just I want to say a hot mess, but it was just a it was just kind of a fucking mess, mess. Really, it was a cold mess. It was a cold mess. It was like an ice why, cold why? mess. Um. Uh, you know, I think at the, I think there's there there uh, there were two problems. I mean, more or less, and one of them was probably the writing, and the other one was the art. Uh, <laughs> really, I, I have to. I I know. Um, okay, first off, I thought there were I thought there were some really um, sloppy choices from Cassidy. You know, like he's he's seemed generally pretty uninspired. I feel throughout these uh, last couple of issues or through through these first three issues of Uncanny Avengers. But at least for me, uh I really felt the the lack of it in this third issue. Um it's it's a shame because I somehow there's something really so classic like late sixties Marvel about that cover of the Uncanny Avengers, uh, you know, that I was kinda hoping that there'd be a little bit of wit, I guess, with it, but they're just there's just it's just awful i mean part of the problem with it is is i feel that remender is writing such a deadly serious book you know that um that it's just creepy and crappy you know it starts off with you know uh, the red skull has his powers to to basically you know have people be like, hey, check out these mutants. They destroyed everything. Like, what are you going to do? And, of course, everyone freaks out and starts killing them. And then and then you get, like, a pretty... You get a scene of, like, a shopkeeper, like, bludgeoning a bike messenger to death. And, I mean, he's really, like, dead. And then you see a cop get, like, stabbed by um, some other... Is this, like mutant or something like that and then you know it's so it's supposed to make the feeling of like when the uncanny avengers show up to save the day sort of it's kind of like oh thank god but you know it's so it's really taking that whole concept of just as everything is about to lose their shit the superheroes turn up there's kind of that feeling of like well let's what really doesn't it really amp the the drama if you actually show what how the shit is sort of starting to be lost you know what i mean like back in the old comics it's like you're pretty much shown just at the moment of everything being too late but in this comic it's too late you actually see you know two or three people get killed and be told by the captions that they are dead by the time the uncanny avengers show up and so there's something kind of um there's something kind of grotty about it and that sort of for me takes off the fun of by the time the completely ludicrous supervillains, uh, you know, start jumping around and fighting with the other Avengers, it just it doesn't. How do I put it? It just doesn't feel fun. It 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 just feels kind of gross to me. But all that being said, um, so I think so. Yeah. So the writing is a mistake, uh, and then the art stuff is just. Um, it's just it's just really bad generic. Cassidy stuff and there's there's even a thing where at the risk of spoiling this there's uh Thor ends up like basically going hammer down uh and plowing directly into Wolverine and the next shot is stuff blowing up 
Like, it's literally like the, the, you see Thor, he's flying right into the Wolverine, the hammer is pointed right at Wolverine's head, and we just found out that Wolverine has had his healing factor removed from him. And then the next shot is an explosion that says, Kragaroom! And there's things flying through the air, and there's a lot of smoke. But I literally am, like, looking there, going like, what you know? What is that? Like, what is that? Is that Wolverine flying into little pieces? And if so, what part of him looks like a tire? You know what I mean? Like, it just really was kind of this weird. Like, He's from Canada. They're part tire there. <laughs> oh, I had heard that. I just thought that that was like an ugly, racist thing spread by um, former Scotsman. So, <laughs> I know. so uh, it it was it was kind of a it was just this real crappy issue. And of course, there's that whole thing because you know it. Part of it is is Remender's doing the Claremont thing of he has one character who like when he stabs you, you get stuck with so much poison. The, the, and it's the poison strips away reality, exposing your the victim's most dreaded possible future. And so... What? Yes, exactly. Because that's how poison works. Um, but unlike the other comics where you would get that sort of lovely full-page or three-quarters page Gil Kane shot of the figure going like, no! And then there's the floating Bucky head going like, Cap, why did you kill me? It's just like Wolverine looking like he's taking too much drama mean, you know? Or And then on top of that, there's a guy who's like Honest John, who's like the supervillain, who is able, who's the uh, the living propaganda. And first when he's, you know, he almost manages to convince Captain America that mutants are worthless, but then he's definitely able to convince Thor that the Red Skull and Odin are totally on the same side and are complete bros, and the best thing that Thor can do is help the Red Skull out. And I'm just kind of like, again, I'm sort of like, how do I put this? It just feels... Ridiculous? Yeah, it's ridiculous, but it's also, I don't know, it's just that weird thing of like, you know, here's a big bag of old superhero tropes, you know, and, and part it, yeah, of it, it is... Yeah, it feels ridiculous in like a desperate way. Yeah, a little bit. I think I think that's part of it. I think part of it is supposed to be like, Rick, the tro- tropes Rick Remender likes are not the tropes that I necessarily like, and a lot of the tropes that he tends to like tend to end up with like, I don't know people being tortured and screaming so i'm kind of like really work for me it's such a shame i was looking forward to kind of the dueling banjos of us both complaining about it did you pick up new avengers uh issues three and four which seem to come out like wait do you mean like avengers issue three and four yeah like maybe avengers issue three and four aren't out right you know what let me just say Fuck the Avengers. But yeah, that's what I mean. Sorry, Avengers. Because <laughs> there uh, is. There's issue literally. Not issue four. Oh, okay. Because issue four is, you know... Oh, see, and I was so Is- upset. Issue-, issue four is the Hyperion one-shot, right? Yeah, well, except it's not really a one-shot in any really specific way. You know? Because it's... <laughs> well, I'd say the end of the first storyline of the Avengers was so earth-shatteringly ineptly carried out. Wasn't it bad? That, that it was one of those... I'm not sure I'm going to give any more time to this book. I was glad that people had con- that that uh, one of the listeners was kind enough to you know donate their digital copy of issue four to me because I was so sure that I wasn't going to be able to complain about three without you going. Well, but did you read four? But three was the one that I really wanted to talk to you. Wasn't that ter- issue like, three was appalling? Was like genuinely amateur error. 
Yeah. That may have been the most amateurish comic that I read that I've read since Avengers Disassembled. You know what I mean? It it, it was stunningly everything about it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those things where you're like, well, you're all clearly talented individuals, but maybe you had a bad month. Yeah, but no, but I mean, really, it, the, the, but wasn't it yeah, so it was, bad it that terrible. it actually made you wonder if, like, it wasn't like a step beyond that? I mean, it really is. Like, admittedly, we cannot really conceive of the deadlines under which these things were created, considering those books shipped so quickly. You know, but well, here's the thing: the fact I'm that the editor wrong, didn't kick that Avengers back. issues three, four, and five are coming out weekly. Uh, it wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me because I really was like, "What issue four? Because you know they've got another artist going. But it's that thing was. I mean, I was really surprised that people a weren't kind of like calling for people's heads. I mean, you know, admittedly, it's the internet. There's always oh, going yeah, to be yeah, that. But no, they're not going to because you're going to have so many people being like, "You just didn't get it." Yeah, but there's going to be so many people. It's the third issue of a run. They'll be like, it doesn't matter. This didn't make sense. When Hickman finishes his run, you'll be able to look back and get it and make it all make sense. And it's like, that doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It doesn't even... Because I'm like, the sense is one thing. Even if I'm willing to put aside the sense, and there is like as much as that last page of issue three to me kind of made no sense... Uh, in the idea of like, yes, there were two men and one was life and one was death or whatever. It was like, huh? Like, I get the sense, especially after reading four, how do I put this? Like, Hickman fills a specific need that people have for their comics without actually, as far as I can tell, at least in my opinion, doing any of it well, you know? like there's Wait, that so, I, so what is the specific need? Well... Uh, I would feel that after reading the first three, four issues, um, Hickman is, is of course, interested in, un- unsurprisingly, duality. Like, that, that last page of three where like, where, like, Tony and Steve are life and death, making this decision to form the Mega Avengers, is supposed to reflect back on the figures of life and death that they were had encountered slash fought on Mars. And in the fourth issue of um, Avengers, the Hyperion quote-unquote one-shot, which doesn't feel especially wrapped up, has a lot of narration where uh, Hyperion, we're told, there's, there's two Hyperions. That gets told through a lot. And it's the Hyperion that everyone sees and then the Hyperion that sees everything. And you're not really, you're sort of left to sketch out what that's supposed to be. But already there's kind of a little bit of a thing of like, oh, um, how do I put this? That that Hickman is trying to thematically suggest something that both plays with and subverts the traditional uh, Manichaean mindset of good and evil. Like there's light and dark and there's life and death but the idea that they actually serve they t- you need them both to serve a larger concept which is growth you know mm-hmm. what I mean like I think there's a lot of people who are very excited that they can put down their Avengers comic and say something like that and and type something like that and feel like it's actually in there without and that 
therefore sort of dispels any problems I, of the fact that it was done horribly. I feel like you're sort of dancing around saying Jonathan Hickman comics make people feel like they're smart. Uh, yeah, it could be. I mean, I get... I get... That's actually always been one of my problems with Jonathan Hickman comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That it's comics that make people... That are self-congratulatory and make the readers congratulate themselves mm-hmm. without actually earning any of it. Well, okay. So here's the thing. I, as you, as anyone, particularly you, but all the listeners of this podcast know, love to feel smart. I, I'm so happy to grab that little... Like, in other words, what you've talked about, Graham, is exactly me. And yet, I don't like Jonathan Hickman comics, so I guess what I'm trying to say... No, no, okay, here's the other half of it. Right. You don't, you don't get it because you're smart. No, I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's necessarily that, although I... Graham, I, you silver-tongued devil. But, uh, <laughs> hey, Jeff, you're too smart for Jonathan Hickman comics. <laughs> Exactly. Might I say, very sexy voiced too. Uh, no, I, I think, I think for me, what it is is that. Um, so I'm very, very quick to play into to that sort of need. I think my problem is is that for myself, whether it's formalist or otherwise, I, I need it to be. It can't. It doesn't matter that it's just there. You know, like it has to also be done somewhat well. If all that stuff had like. Uh, you know, been played out for me in a three-issue tapestry that had characters. You know what I mean? I would definitely be down with it. But it was just um, not only was the first three issues a lot of gabbity gab, but that Deus Ex Machina ending was terrible. It was also kind of it was terrible in so many ways. It was terrible in the you know, where did that character come from? This ridiculous way. Mm-hmm. It was terrible in the so she just tells everyone's calm down and they do it way. But for me, it was the real flaw of it was you literally had no idea who that character was. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and that's like, exactly it for me. None. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that is kind of my thing is, is that there is there's a level of signifier that is um, appropriate and important to superhero comics where you know, it's like, oh, you see that it's Superman by the icon and he does this thing. But like for me, any story, like if you transpose that story and it had been and and you'd had Superman saying that and they'd realized it for whatever reason that was sort of in plot worthy that you found out the moment later, it still wouldn't have meant anything because because yeah, because kept that Captain Universe character means nothing at that point in the story. It's it's bad it's all it's a it that was i i don't know how to describe it was so bad because it because it because captain america uh, captain america captain universe means something because you've never seen captain universe before Mm -hmm. exactly and and also it makes no effort to introduce captain universe exactly 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 and those are the two things that mean a lot to me so that was such a profound misunderstanding of how superhero comics work. Like, if you kind of went, oh, but it's going to be okay because everyone knows. Like, you know, you, when you look back at comic books, you just brought people in and everyone knew what that meant and it worked because everyone... Like, it's like, it's like no, when people read... Com- like, even when you read a comic book where you did not know that character before, 
the steps were made to lay out who that character was so that it made sense. It even created a bit of mystique about the character. You know what I mean? Like, and if you did it right, if you had to do it in that way, like there's a certain minimum number of brushstrokes, you know what I mean? And that's one of the things that drives me crazy. It's the, it's, it's most of the stuff that I've complained about with Grant Morrison stories, except a step more extreme where it's like no that it, didn't exist you did not have a story you did not have a story in your first so three funny issues. that you mentioned morrison because what it reminds me of is and i always remember this from zenith mm-hmm. but morrison did it in so many places and then for a while miller did it as well he would introduce a new threat mm-hmm. by having characters react to it because they know what it is first mm-hmm. and so you basically have characters being like oh shit we're all fucked it's the jeff lester right and so even before Jeff Lester appeared, mm-hmm. you'd be like, "Well, this is this is trouble," because mm-hmm. these guys are completely shitting themselves, right? And it was such a lazy yet effective way of doing it, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you'd have the other characters be like, "You'd be like, I don't know who this is, but ever like from the every, what I'm seeing, right. this is a big deal." Right. And I feel that Hickman didn't even do that in Avengers. No, he really like, didn't. Cap- Captain Universe shows up, and the bad guys are like, "Okay, we'll stop." Mm-hmm. And all the Avengers are like, hey, good to see you again. Well, and I think that's, that's it. it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's even supposed to be kind of a concept of, like, arguably it could be the idea of, like, we're supposed to then turn around and be like, holy shit, who is this character? But because of the way, A, the conflict is built and based, and B, the way that they react, which is something along the lines of, like, somebody get that person a pie, you know, to see the aftermath, which has nothing to do with this idea of this character, you know, that basically stopped this unstoppable stop threat, you know, um, from occurring. Like everyone's just like la da da. Like you said, okay, well goodbye then. It's it's what uh, I think. I think when John Rogers wrote this um, parody fanfic of Lost, like back in like season two, he called the incurious bastard syndrome. You know, where it was just like, oh, this thing happens and everybody's like, okay, you know, people are like, no, but what over there? Look over there, you know, and that's and that at every level, it was such a it was it was it really was. We use the phrase a lot and probably overuse it, but it was utter shit. It was utter shit. And I was so can I just for a second say Jerome Pena can do really pretty art but mm-hmm. his storytelling is mince and never more so in this issue where he completely forgot to establish any fucking new character you know how do I put this like I... there's a point where someone like karate chops the leg off a character yes and I honestly have no idea who that character was because his arm is in front of his fucking face yes exactly I think we're I believe it's supposed to be Shang-Chi but yeah, yeah no. I think mm-hmm. oh, but that's yeah. that's a guess because his arms in front of his face. Or when Captain Universe shows up, you see from the over her shoulder. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a variety of things where, and and I think that for me, I think Opinion's storytelling is okay. It's just obviously not his strong strong point when he's being fucking rushed. Like all these guys. Like this was, you know, for something that is a spearhead of the largest comic book companies you know, republishing initiative, it felt like, you know, the term paper that the college students stayed up all late all and pulled an all-nighter on and dashed it was, in. It was such... Ten minutes uh, what is the opposite of compelling? Uncompelling? That seems far right. too polite. Uh, it was such a, a remarkably slapdash mm-hmm. and... 
it, it was it was mildly repellent in that it sounds like you clearly didn't bother with four, and I just wanted to see four to see kind of so that I could complain so wholeheartedly about three, you know. So what? So here's the question. So you say four essentially says there's two Hyperions, right? Yes. Yeah, well, okay, so it... The... Does it actually say who Hyperion is, though? Yes. Because it... that's the thing I didn't get from the first three issues at all. Like, is this the Hyperion from, like, the Mark Grunewald series? Is this, like, another alternate Hyperion? Yeah, it's an... As far as I know, it's another alternative Hyperion. And in a sense, this issue is a, a relatively good catch-up issue. In the course, here's the thing that's ironic. Of course, you know, as you know, you and I and many other people were like, this whole, like, bomb, origin bombs bursting on Earth, that kind of seems like a big deal, you know, and it keep, is more or less uncovered. Well, it's back on Earth, and this is the thing that's hilarious, is there's these various, the bombs had burst over the planet, um, and there is a sort of a missing origin bomb, and where it landed everyone's kind of curious as to where it is. And Hyperion figures out that it's in the Savage Land. So, frustratingly enough, rather than us finding out, say, what happened to Perth, although you get the sense that that's being teased, that we're still to find out what happened to these major cities that have been hit by this, these bombs and transformed, um, you know, it alternates between the majority of it is... The, the story of the Hyperion, the Earth on which he was born, in which he's a Superman analog, and how his uh, planet is destroyed in the big, um, in the collision of Earths that I realize is, is probably the new Avengers storyline, Earth Destructo thing. Meanwhile, characters, uh, an, an investigatory Avengers team goes to the Savage Land to see what is happening to the Savage Land that um, as a result of this origin bomb they come across a bunch of other uh, uh, agents of AIM who are in the process of doing the same thing by essentially taking some of the new plants and injecting one of their compatriots with it which turns into a, a major monster that everyone has to fight to destroy um, I'm trying to think if they actually came up with a way to do oh it looks like they're going to destroy it but then what happens is um, uh, these weird mini-kid things start popping out of the cocoons in the Savage Land, and Hyperion more or less adopts them. And then, for whatever reason, everyone more or less like rounds up the AJ Ames agents and leaves. Because in true and curious bastard fashion, your whole point of the reason why you came there doesn't really seem to apply anymore. Like... Hey, they got in a fight, Jeff. They're distracted. Well, they got in a fight, and then it was kind of like, oh, okay, what happened is is that you're getting little uh, mini tiger midgets, and Hyperion thinks they're awesome. So I guess that's, the you know, problem solved. And that again, it's that weird thing of Hickman is either A, being so absurdly reductive that he has stripped any drama out of the story, or he's told it so ineptly um, and requiring people to essentially lose any interest in the plot thread right in front of them until later when according to you know the Excel spreadsheet it's time for that plot thread to come back you know that it it it's 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 not good it's not good it looks you know the Ames outfits look very lovely Andy Kubert is doing you know he's not really to my taste much but you know it 
you know, it, uh, it was okay. It's it's interesting to me that they've decided to go the route the route route of doing bringing in yet another Superman analog into Avengers. Because again, it's it's almost as if Jonathan Hickman, you know, kind of came in with these plans, and somebody was like, you know, Bendis brought the century in for like thirty some odd issues of Avengers, and had a Superman, all powerful Superman analog there that was kind of an ominous future thing that was problematic, and he's like, uh huh. So anyway, Hyperion is like Superman, but it's different because he's kind of an ominous, you know. So I don't know, dude. I'm just, let's roll on and find out what this amazing quote is from that Kid Show Business wants to tell us about. Oh, that, that's, God, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Kid Show Business wants to know, Jeff. <laughs> Most of the talents creating books at Marvel are fairly progressive. Mm-hmm. So generally, we all want diversity in the abstract. The problem comes from the fact that the catalogue of Marvel and DC characters are predominantly straight, white male because of the era they were conceived in, and it's the basic building blocks of what we have to work with. Which begets the question, well Jonathan, if this is really one of the root causes of the problem, if you really feel that way, if you're not a fraud, why don't you just go and create some new, more diverse characters? Which is where things get tricky. In light of numerous historical examples, contractual realities and the shelf life of creators, is it really in a creator's best interest to be making brand new IP for the big companies on the cheap? I mean, we still do it sometimes because, frankly, we can't not. It's in our DNA as storytellers and problem solvers. But is it the right thing to do? Would it be right for people to expect me to do that? I don't think so. But that's just one example. There are others, some even more negative, plenty positive. So my take is pretty much the take that I've had after reading these comics, which is, I would like to hit Jonathan Hickman with a 2 by 4 Graham? Okay, why? What, what's my take on it? Uh, I think he's... Rem- uh, I, I actually like his comics. I think he is uh, being overly precious and is overthinking it, I guess? See, I actually find it as being candidly disingenuous. You know? Which... I don't really know quite how that parses, but that's kind of the way that I sort of feel about it. Is like, I mean, alternately, you could be a fraud. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of that thing of like, he's sort of like, I mean, I appreciate the candor with which he he lays those things out. And of course, I feel like by having Captain Universe be uh, an African-American woman of color, um, he has come up with a way to sort of redress that issue. By making her seem quasi-retarded, I'm not really sure that he's thought it through any more than he seems to be saying that he is. You know what I mean? Well, uh, first of all, is she any more quasi-retarded than any of his other characters? Well, as I recall, admittedly, although she's sort of, you know, baffled and befuddled where she is and what's going on I would say that and maybe this is just me that if you're going to make the time to have a character appear who is apparently going to be a major character and is a character of color and more specifically African American maybe having them show up talking about pie is not the smartest thing to do <laughs> you know what I mean like I maybe that's just me but like you know it's like who knows maybe they had an even more racist way of starting that that they managed to like revise up and that's the way they settled for it 
But that I kind of had. Well, that she, she initially came in asking about fried chicken, Jeff. Right. This is this is what I'm talking about, Graham. It's like they went, oh no 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 no, that's dude. And he's like, oh I'm so sorry. What was I thinking? And they both went, hmm, maybe pie. Yeah, pie. Pie sounds good. You know. So I just. I'm just kind of shocked. I'm just kind of shocked. I guess there is that level of it where it's like, I feel like Jonathan Hickman is like, you know, when you hit Homer Simpson with like the super genius serum or something, and for 20 seconds, he like says something super articulate and then goes, and then just keeps, you know, like uh, doing what he's doing, which is, let's face it, you know, storytelling and, and, and problem solving aside, he's, you know, he's picking up a check for, you know, regurgitating IP. It's, I, I hate to make it sound... And unfortunately, the thing that drives me nuts is Hickman keeps drawing attention to it. And again, it, again, it's sort of that thing, uh, I guess you were saying where I was complaining about the, it's smart, but not smart enough, or it's too easily pleased with itself. And and there is a little bit of that. I feel like Hickman figures out the like sketches the contours of the cage, points them out to you, and then proceeds to not really do much about it, which makes me sort of even more annoyed. Like maybe you shouldn't just pointed out the cage at all, Jonathan. Ergo the two by four. <laughs> That's a much bigger cage. Yes. <laughs> a much bigger cage. And a much bigger two by four. George T asks I have never read an Avengers comic. If I were to read one issue of Avengers, what should it be? Graham? Oh, shit. Um, you've never read an Avengers comic. Yeah. Um, I really don't know. Well, it's a toughie, because of course... It I'm... really is, because like, if you're like one storyline, I feel that'd be easier than one issue. Well, see, that's it. That's where I was going to cheat. I was like, oh, just read the Celestial Madonna storyline, because that gets you through 30-some-odd issues of Avengers... Unless you know whether you really like it or not. But, uh, but of course, this is it. I could say that, and who knows? No offense, George T., but I don't know what you like. Maybe your thing is, is like, I kind of really like the idea that the Avengers, like, would all get stripped of their clothes and hung up naked together. And I'm like, in that case... That, there's a Brian Michael Bendis issue that you really can't wait Exactly. To yeah, it's like uh, issue five of New Avengers or something like that. So. Yeah, um, what would I... I'd probably go for a, a West Coast Avengers by Englehart in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I would go for an issue out of the uh, Lost in Space Time. But, like, fairly far in, at the point where, like, there's at least three different stories going on. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I almost feel that way about that one... Uh, like I'm, I'm so like, oh god, giant size Avengers number two, you know. I mean, which is silly because you don't know anything that's really arguably going on. And giant size Avengers number two is basically a, you know, Dave Cockrum art drawing a Hawkeye comic, but with every, you know, but it's right as the Kang Amortis Rama Tut thing gets underway and it introduces you to all the big subplots at the time. But yeah. I don't, you know, a lot of people will be like. You know, how is that even relevant? You know, I guess the ideal... Oh, you know what I came across the other day? Uh, Avengers issue and a half. That was a great little book. Oh, was that the the Bruce Timm one? Yeah, the Bruce Timm one. That's... Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about that. I was like, is that a continued story or not? It's it's a one-shot. It's definitely well, a one-shot. Well, then yeah. probably that. Yeah, try that. I mean, assuming that you like your stuff kind of, you know, su- supremely retro. But uh, um... Or I might suggest one of the Busick... Uh, Perez issues. Yeah, you know, I run hot and cold on that stuff. I really do, because there's stuff in that that I love, 
but in some ways I love it because parts and bits and pieces of it popped up elsewhere. And I'm not sure if there was ever... I mean, this is the problem. Uh, George T., part of the reason why your question is somewhat problematic is, is because on the one hand, you definitely... I think part of the appeal of the Avengers is both the idea that it's it's plugged right into sort of the heart of the tapestry of the larger Marvel Universe, but that it also has the... Usually, for most Avengers books, it's the secondary characters that can have a full dramatic arcs within it that sort of make the book, like, when it tends to work best as a book. You know what I mean? So... That, I think that's almost part of the reason why it's very tough to say just one issue of the Avengers, because one issue of the Avengers, then you might as well just be, yeah, like it's the it's the big issue where all the biggest heroes kick all the biggest ass. But really, I think part of the appeal of the Avengers is the idea that you actually get stories told out against that more or less as a backdrop. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I can see, like, if you got the right, because and and I think Busiek and Perez I think did actually a really good job at that. So there's probably a good issue in there somewhere. I just unfortunately didn't quite know it because it got to the phase where George Perez's work was too fussy for me at that point. I just couldn't take a pick to it. I I can totally see that. I I've, I feel that like that's that's been an issue with me <laughs> a long time. I actually uh, the other day read the Wolf and Perez New Titans New Teen Titans Omnibus Volume One. Oh, which yeah. is like the first, god, twenty odd issues, maybe mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. of of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, that's weird stuff. I've said this before, mm-hmm. like, but it it just it's really weirdly dated stuff. And yet, reading it this time around, I honestly was like, I wish that Teen Titans was like this now. Yeah, exactly. Because I I reread, like you said, it's weird. It doesn't date well, which is fascinating because it's hard to necessarily pin down why that is and yet as a sort of baseline of like a superhero comic but also like a superhero comic that seemed to have that kind of grew its potential as it went along it was really a lot of fun wasn't it but it's also crazy to go back and read and see how retro it all is well yeah yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they're like, we're fighting the Justice League. We're searching for the Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like so many of the plots of the first year, yeah, are continuity part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why? Well, how do I put this? Because that is that's what the time was. You know what I mean? That was kind of your idea of a good, of a good, good comic. comic was something that tied in. Yeah, it was something that tied in, and the idea that they, you know, because let's face it, so much of the Teen Titans before that barely paid attention to the idea that those characters had a larger context, other than to maybe have like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman show up and scold the characters, you know. So to have it be like they had to fight and prove that they're their own team or they had to, like, uncover the secret mystery. Like, everyone's, like, very into their own origins and secret origins and embellishing the origins. And it's funny how much, again, sort of the same way that Jeff Johns' thing is all about the drama of things, you know, like, that, that storytelling beat. Like, now it's... Back then, it was almost this weird, like, here's how you fit in. Here's, um, like, 
the real drama is who you are and how you fit in and all the other little pieces, which is something that Jeff Johns sort of also can throw into his work when he's dealing with DC legacy stuff. But, but at some other weird, like, again, that's sort of part of the drama. I suppose that's where all the drama comes in. And then of course, as it goes along and then when, by the time you sort of care about the characters, then they start doing stuff like the, uh, Judas contract and things like that, where you're like, oh my god, they're actually doing things with these characters I never thought they'd do. Because, you know, at that stage... So I, I really thought that what was great is the first 20 issues of, of Teen Titans is kind of about teaching... Is, is this argument about why you should care about these characters. What's amazing is, is that argument continues so much longer than you would ever think that it would need to go on. Maybe that's part of why it feels so dated. Yeah, it just—it was just uh, a weird and wonderful experience, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I kind of envy you. Didn't know that was a library thing. I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty awesome. But it's like it's not Portland Library; it's another interlibrary loan thing. Ah, Graham McMillan, master of the system. Uh, George T. Second question: I've never watched or read any Doctor Who. What is a good place to pick it up other than 1966? Uh, why would you pick it up three years into the run? <laughs> um, yeah, that's an anal joke. Um, it depends what you want out of it. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's the classic Doctor Who, which like is anywhere in the first 30 odd years of its existence. Um, or there's like modern Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're looking for modern, I would say the first episode of Stephen Moffat and Matt Smith. Yeah, I think that's which, which is the eleventh hour, which I think yeah. is a, a great reboot of the show. Yeah, it's really good. It uh, that was where I, Edie and I started, and it Edie eventually just kind of like the show was not for her, but it was so good and so strong. It took her, I think, almost a full season for her to really figure that out. So, and if it is for you, you'll know. But it's that that is that has so much charm and clever uh, wittiness to it it re- it's re- and it's designed for for newcomers i feel um you know uh but that being said and i f- i feel i honestly feel that way but it um cuz when i jump back and start watching some of the the Christopher Eccleston stuff i'm just not an Eccleston fan so it's well, a little I, I like Eccleston a lot but i think that those episodes are terrible mm, they're really they seem much cheaper and they seem much campier because the first episode of the of the reboot series, the first episode of Eccleston, uh, I rewatched recently, and it's kind of hard to watch. Yeah, it's I'm... really kind of pantomiming, and they're like, oh, "Let's run down here!" Da, 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 da. Oh my god, let's run down here! Da, 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 da. And it's, right. it's just yeah. So there there's something about it that feel like it's a little bit flatter, and and for whatever reason, Moffat is more interested in in tricking you i guess into making you think that there there's either that there's more there there than there is or into discovering what's really there so yeah i i think part of it is uh russell davis is a much less subtle writer mm-hmm. and so he would literally rather make you laugh and cry and scream than engage you well uh, uh maybe maybe i personally think that i think that moffat is uh, incredibly ambitious to the point where his stuff doesn't pan out. But I think he really is. He's Mister Like, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it all of it to you. And when he has enough time and he comes close to it, there's kind of this remarkable, just like, holy shit feeling of it. Because one of the things that's great about 
the and this is the other reason why that I think Moffat is a good choice is it sort of trains you it, at least for a new viewer like how to watch Doctor Who and appreciate it because he does have a lot of like that whole like oh let's run here or the the chasey or the frightening scenes or whatever like when you go back because I really did when I was watching the Eccleston stuff I really kind of had this feeling of like oh okay this is like Doctor Who these are the parts that you're supposed to enjoy you know these are the parts that are faux creepy these are the parts that are really creepy these are the parts that are cheeky you know um I feel like I feel like Moffat lays out sort of how to appreciate that stuff so that you sort of develop an appetite for it when it goes back and it's a little more base you know yeah I, yeah. I, I feel like every Moffat makes a point to make sure that everything that's in his Doctor Who is in Doctor Who. It's just either better or more Moffaty, or depending on on what your take on that is. Yeah, so. I I agree. Jesse M says, "No way you'll have time to answer all of these. Choose one." Jesse, you obviously thought that we weren't going to take two months. To exactly. Questions. Come Why on. Why did you jump over my uh, Number one, what is the single issue of a comic that you love best? Dude, let me just ask you, Mike Laughlin, did you skip over his stuff because it's like weird? Oh no, I just I totally just skipped over it by mistake. <laughs> I scrolled too far. Mike, we'll do you instead. Yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which Marvel or DC characters that headline their own books or our members or a team should be put aside for a year or two? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, which one? Which one needs it most? Uh, which needs it the most right now? Oh man, that's really tough because there's there's so many reboots that had happened. There's and there's just I'm trying to think like I know there's a Marvel character that has just been overexposed and overdone. Because it's funny, because if you'd asked me, like, four months ago, no, it wasn't. Thor actually left. I think I would have said the Hulk. And I think, honestly, based on the third issue, I think I've read the first three issues of The Indestructible Hulk. I'm still leaning toward the Hulk. I think the Hulk might need a timeout. You know what I just realized? I've read the third issue, and I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, I kind of... Not, I... not one. Like, I don't remember anything about it, and I know I've read the third issue. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the one where there's it's the actual first proof of concept really for the book, three issues in. I mean, apart from that last half of one. Shield is breaking into this uh there's there's some group of dudes that are like need the fifth dude who's the pilot of the super robot from like back in like Mantlo's run or whatever. And so they but like one of the guys is dead so they think that it's not a problem but then they I don't know steal his brain waves they basically reactivate the super robot in the heart of this big volcano base shield is raiding hulk breaks in and is you know used as their like super trigger to basically beat the super robot and he beats them through the sheer power of mark wade not giving a shit basically seriously i swear to you god make he that like sounds awesome <laughs> And I, I know it clearly wasn't because I'm not joking. Like I didn't remember a thing. But about that, that sort comment. of rings some bells, right? I think I've got this right. Yeah. That's no. 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 You're right. But I, 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 it sounds familiar. I just, I, I'm not joking. I could not remember one thing about it, which is a really bad sign. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, admittedly, um, that it was like two weeks ago, and which is forever in Marvel terms. Marvel's accelerated publishing schedule. All new X Men can come out in two weeks. Three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Three in two weeks. 
Um, I was going to say Captain America. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I think that Captain America just needs some time away right now. But he had such a long time away. Yeah, I think he needs some time away again. <laughs> or Iron Man. And I say that as someone who's actually enjoying uh, Kieran Drun. But mm-hmm. Iron Man, I think, is just horrifically overexposed right now. Well, I have to say, I think you were the one who... Had, you're, weren't you, no. Was it you or Rich who had what, the... What? what? No. What? what you, no. no. Huh. Listen to Jeff carry on a conversation with himself, but better, it's incomplete. Enjoy, everyone. Um, it's, uh, like, it was, oh, it was on Bleeding Cool where Bendis was basically talking about how awesome Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be for, like, the world's worst reasons. Like, that was... Oh, God, it sounded terrible, didn't it? It was so bad. That was the worst. Like, at every stage of it, I was just like, it's, uh, it's bad. So, um... Yeah, honestly, I'm a little tired of Iron Man, considering that he's everywhere, but of course I really have suffer, suffer. I am blessed with um, selective charity syndrome, in that unless someone gives it to me, I literally don't read it, so I don't I don't have a problem. You know, interestingly enough, the Goram, I will say, like earlier today, I was really jonesing to read like a classic Marvel comic and I've got, you know, as you know, the the you originals. Have lots of classic Marvel comics. I know, and they're set aside on like DVD. And I was kind of like, oh shit, I don't have time to like hook up the hard drive and sync my iPad and like download a few because this was like maybe just an hour before we talked. And what I did was I opened up uh, on my Dark Horse app. I bought that first Star Wars omnibus and I read issues. Um, I think like eleven through fifteen. Or something like that. Like, I made my way all the way through the first appearance of Jackson, but I, and that Seven Samurai storyline, but I had not bothered to go on and read the whole, like, Luke Skywalker on the water planet and how everyone ends up getting back together, where it's uh, Archie Goodwin. <laughs> Luke and... Skywalker on the water planet, I have to tell you, is one of my earliest comic reading experiences. Oh, really? You know, I, I have to say, honestly, it was not bad. Carmen Infantino's art is not great in any way but one of the things that kind of shocked me like I kept reading it and going like oh holy shit is this like Archie Goodwin really captures the voices of everybody which in a way isn't so surprising I guess because but I mean considering at that point all you have is like one movie and if you're being you know if you could and then the novelization and then if you really want to go out there read the four other comics <laughs> that had been written by Roy Thomas with the help of Howard Chaikin and others and that's it, you know and so there was something that was kind of like, oh yeah Luke is you know, headstrong a little whiny, you know, Princess Leia is headstrong but concerned and compassionate and, you know, Han Solo is like glib but has a heart of gold you know, but even when like R2's like C-3PO's complaining, I'm like this is nice. It's just like, it's like, but ironically enough, I read it for that feeling of reading an old 70s style Marvel comic. Um, and it was kind of nice. Entirely pleasant. And then they, I had forgotten that they bring back Jax so quickly. And, and also, Graham, I have to warn you in advance that your drawing of Jax is going to be the cover. <laughs> image for oh my this God. episode. I have, so I have to tell you, so I said I was on Twitter that I was going to do that for Dylan. 
Mm, yeah. And then I completely stressed out about it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I've not drawn in so long. I've not drawn in so long. Oh, Jesus. Why did I say I'd do this? Because I have to do it. Because I told him I'd do it. I've got to do it. Oh, my God. I just stressed and stressed and stressed. And so I did it. I scanned it in and sent it to him. And then kind of forgot about it. <laughs> and it took him like a week to put it up. And then when he put it up, I was like, oh, my God, it's terrible. Dude, it's quite good. I really literally had a meltdown. I was like, why did I even, what was I thinking? Oh, I was, that no. was great. That was fine. I actually, your Jackson's really good. <laughs> like, because you, you did a D-Man sketch and you did uh, you did a Jackson A, a Jackson, sketch. yeah. And one of the things that's interesting is you did the D-Man sketch. And I, it was like, I was, that was the first one that you had posted a link to. And I'm like, oh, that's clever. I'll put that on the little site. And it'll be like, hey, everybody, here's, you know, Graham. He does it all. And it, I thought it was like... That works in kind of an Evan Dorkin-y, D-Man kind of sketch kind of way. But honestly, your Jackson sketch, I like. It's got, I'm like, that is inked in a way. It, it's weird. It kind of reminded me of Tony Salmons, which is not maybe a person that you'd want to be compared to. That's a ridiculous compliment and one I don't deserve, but thank you. Well, just because, and this may or may not be, it may not necessarily fall into the realm of compliment, but Tony, you know how Tony Salmons has like a very sort of um, like almost kind of askew way of how he lays down his blacks. Oh know? no, I t- I totally know what you mean. Yeah, so I really saw that in that drawing and was like, oh, that's really nice. It was one of those things where it was really unconventional, without to at least to me being like, oh, that's you know amateurish. It really felt like, oh, it's unconventional, but it works. And and I was like, damn it, I'll I will read. Graham McMillan's Jackson comic, like it, it, it was or, actually amateurish, but thank you. No, it well in the sense that no, you no, really paid it for was. it. <laughs> listeners, I, I'm glad it read. Otherwise, <laughs> go to savagecritic.com and check it out because when you're hearing this podcast, it's going to be the image accompanying it, the show notes, and uh, and check it out, and uh, it's quite decent. Um, so yeah so okay so we should wrap up Mike Laughlin's things and then jump so as a DC character uh, oh yeah and then DC character that needs to be put aside for a year or two ah it's tough because they've all had their go at being overexposed in the spotlight yeah I I would I would I would actually try and put away all of them (laughs) I would too I honestly would I would do something so different I mean currently I feel and perhaps this is mistaken but I I think that Batman holds up for the most part currently. Yeah. Um, but everyone else is in trouble. I think Superman is in such. Uh, I mean, admittedly, I'm not reading the other Lobdell stuff, so maybe they've managed to turn it around. But that seemed like such a direly, you know, dire misstep of a relaunch right there. They were in, they were in trouble. So um, Superman's the one that I think would be my number one vote. But there's a lot of them that needed... Flash was the other one, which is ironic because I'm reading the book, where if they had taken a year or two years with no Flash title whatsoever, I think the the um, IP would have been better for it. You know who? Hawkman. Oh, yeah. Hawk, I, I, that's I, I true, too. I feel that the Hawkman relaunch was so horrifically yeah. just cack-handed mm-hmm. that uh, I... I like I would love it if they could just quietly put Hawkman away for a while and then bring him back. Yeah, bring him back, definitely. But like you know, look at the the length of time of which Aquaman was gone. Apparently, arguably, it, you know, I, it can be argued that that was the right thing to do, considering he's now a high seller. 
this is this one, yeah. yeah. If the big two superhero comics were redesigned to be more all ages and woman friendly, do you think sales would increase? Um, ha- has the new readership already sailed? He asked. Yeah. Uh, I th- I think for DC, it arguably has. I think the new Fifty Two was it. Yeah, I think I think the new Fifty Two was it. Um, although you know, I think at some point they'll have another shot at the ring. I think they sort of managed to give themselves enough of a superficial shot in the arm. I'm perfectly prepared for DC to shit the bed pretty handily this year. I'm just, I can't help but feel that's coming. Provided in the course of shitting the bed, they do not actively screw everything up and they go five years with the new 52, I think they could probably figure out a way to do an, uh, another relaunch and then we'll see what happens. My personal theory, although I could be wrong, the closest thing that I feel that Marvel's is... DC is close to doing right is trying to find their all ages and women friendly viewers on the digital marketplace and just ignoring the direct market entirely Uh, or or I should say not entirely but then republishing that material for the direct market Yeah, as as a secondary audience I think you're right I think something that DC is doing right and I think there's a lot that they're doing wrong these Mm -hmm. days but I think something they're doing right is having monthly comics yeah yeah. I, I think I think that's actually like a really good thing and something that is so basic that you'd be like, that's ridiculous. But then you look at what Marvel's doing yeah. and you're like, oh, monthly comics are great. Yeah, monthly comics but are great. Thank you for knowing like third week means Flash. Yeah. You know, exactly. or fourth week means Flash, I should say. Well, and I will say this is, you know, it's a shame. One of the things I really wanted to talk to you about and I'll mention really quickly so that I can throw the link in, in the show notes is for people who like hearing Graham and I talk and are kind of curious to see what that's like when, at least in my case, when I write. <laughs> um, Graham and I both contributed to Chad Nevitt's uh, blogathon uh, last weekend. And I wrote my entry on Dreadstar while I was basically running my 101 degree fever. So I can't really say it makes a lot of sense, but. Graham writes, that's, right. that's right. Mine also doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> right, exactly. You can choose whatever right. excuse it's you not want. so funny. I wrote mine and said to Chad, it was like, Chad, I think I'm just rambling and I don't think it makes any sense. And he was like, if you think yours is rambling, wait until you see my response because I'm going to be writing it on the day after writing 13 other things. <laughs> it's true. Bless his heart. But uh, honestly, guys, uh, if you didn't check it out in real time, Definitely go to, uh, is it graphiccontent.blogspot.com? It's graphiccontent.blogspot.com, and graphic content has one C. It's one word. Yeah, one word with one C there in the middle. Uh, and uh, hunt up the, the tag for the blogathon. Chad did an amazing job this year. He blogged for 24 hours, but when he, he took on guest posters at graphic content, so for half an hour, it was. Graham or I or Tucker Stone or a dozen other really tremendous writers um, writing about something and then Chad would come back and write a half hour reply for that and when he but you but you also know that like during the the half hour guest posts he was blogging a good comics sh- uh, at CBR right yeah at comics should be good where yeah. he listed down his his top list of, of best comics so he was working nonstop for 24 hours just alternating between two different websites and two different sets of 
you know, his one assignment over a comic should be good, and then literally bouncing around any topic that we'd agreed on beforehand. So in the case of Graham, uh, he wrote about with, uh, with Peter David's Star Trek uh, novels, which was a great topic for the two of you guys. I really, really enjoyed that um, tremendously. And then I wrote about uh, the tw- first 12 issues of Dreadstar um, from the Dreadstar Omnibus, which uh, I forgot to mention at the time because of my 200 degree fever, but uh, were uh, a fine gift from Cormac O'Connor? Cormac, Cormacaroni uh, over on Twitter, who had generously uh, gifted me the Dreadstar Omnibus digitally, um, I want to say like three or four months ago. So, one of the things that was great in writing about Dreadstar uh, for Chad was revisiting Jim Starlin's Dreadstar and realizing how strong a book can be if it's being published bi-monthly. Um, you know, that, like, because when I first read it, I was like, how the fuck was Starlin able to do all of this work, the amount of detail, and just the just the really well-thought-out storytelling on a page-by-page basis, no matter how you necessarily feel about the book, which I was kind of meh about to revisit. Um, nonetheless, the amount of work in it, I was like, how the fuck could he do that every month? And the, the honest answer, the answer was... Is, he didn't. He, he didn't. And I, there are a lot of books that I remember so fondly and I adored um, that I've gone back and later on found out that they were bi-monthly. And because I was a kid and not really tracking that, it never I never really noticed. Um so I think that honestly monthly books are absolutely great but I I think that given my druthers instead of publishing bi-weekly <laughs> you know and I would rather publish monthly and bring back bi-monthly books where you can get artists who are really good but are slower or more thoughtful to to do work that that really can be more um have have, have a little more to them you know what I mean yeah. So uh, no, no, I, I, I think you're totally right, and I think that, I think people, uh, people, publishers these days would rather have we'll have four creative teams on the same book, right? Than we'll have one creative team and ship it less than once a month. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is is shame. It really mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, Mike Lockland. Anyway, uh, I think new readership has sailed. I, uh, I think third. I don't think it's a ship that only sails once, I should say. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that you can build a new readership, I, but I think the idea of, like, here's our big promotional push, let's get as many people as possible right now, yeah. f- was the new 52. Yeah, I think everything everything additional at this point is going to be small and slow and steady. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I At least as far as for the big two and for the big two's product, and like I said, with that asterisk of I'm... I, I'd be curious to see where DC's going with their digital original content. So. Well, we'll soon find out. So that uh, that probably brings us to the end of another episode, huh? Would it does! And we're only at question 51. Let's see, how many more do we have? One, two, three, four, five. I actually counted the ones that are really questions. Right. Yeah. Less than fourteen, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no. What am I saying? No, there's not less than fourteen. There's like twenty. 
For some reason, I thought it went up to 64 and it goes up to 74. 74, you're right. I did so. the, uh, you were impressionable because I made the same mistake. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're okay. both dumb. <laughs> but, uh, people will honestly try and do this next week. We'll stop tra- talking about comics, even though you guys tune in for the comics. It's We're torn. We're torn, people. Yeah, we're like Natalie and Brulia. But on the plus side, we didn't talk about Misfits, which does That's make true. The first time, the first time in like a month, month and a half. Hallelujah. Uh, however, that being said, I will now demand that we talk about Natalie Imbruglia. So, um, uh, she was great in Neighbors. She was. She was, uh, she was great in Neighbors. I don't know that, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I was actually I shocked to found out that, um, that, that, uh, uh, Good old what's his name used her Brandon Graham used her as the model in one of his porn comics. Did um, he? Yeah, he did. He meant and he mentioned later on exactly. that it was kind of dicky to he was like, Yeah, I was at that stage where I thought it was actually really clever to appropriate, you know, an attractive, famous person's likeness and use them in devious ways without thinking about how dehumanizing that might be. It's kind of interesting. So yes, um, even there, we don't stray far from the comics, do we? So, uh, Graham, I guess I will be talking to you next week. Listeners, I hope you will be listening to us next week. Yes. I feel like I should have said something there and said I'm Googling Brandon Graham and Natalie Brilli. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yes, we will be back next week. We will hopefully have lots more things to talk about. And if not, I'm sure we will just ramble endlessly for the longest time, as we tend to do. Chattering noises. I don't know, man. I think this one, considering how quickly we were talking about Greenland, there are times where we were right in there, weren't we? Yeah, they're right in the zone. There There are plenty of times where people have to tune in and listen to us talk about. Yeah. And considering how sick you've been, I'm 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 applauding you, Jeff Lester. Oh, thank you. Well, wow, you can actually hear the applause in the background. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Yes, and remember, uh, when it turns Graham's time, uh, I will not be nearly so generous because I am because I am bad. Okay, Graham, do you want to sing us out? Bye.